Hard driving music can only mean one thing. Extra bases, Bristol and Booth. Hi, Jeremy. What's going on with you and your world? Hi, Jason. Got a lot of top secret stuff that I can't quite reveal yet, but I'm doing great. All righty. Well, let's go with some not so top secret stuff. Let's start with this. The vibe around Houston is that Jim Crane and James Click owe the fans an explanation on why they could not match a deal for Carlos Correa. I don't think they owe them an explanation, and here's why. Because from what I was told or from what I understand, they were so far apart that there was really no middle ground to reach. A team has their parameters, and a player has his parameters, and there was no way they were going to meet in the middle. So do you think that James Click and Jim Crane owe the fans an explanation when it comes to Carlos Correa? I think that they owe the fans a comment. I think they owe the fans what I would call a baseline, uh, kind of what you saw today from Jim Crane, an appreciation letter, which is very much put out by the PR department. I'm sure heartfelt in, in some number of ways, but they, you know, they owe the fans that because Carlos Correa was a big part of the, of the franchise and a big part of the city. And look, I mean, just the fact that he got the deal he got from the twins says he's a pretty good player. Right. So we're not, we're not talking about somebody that the fans didn't get in touch with or somebody the fans didn't connect to or somebody, you know, as, 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 as fans should, they kind of feel like the players are, you know, they identify with them. It's, it's there. It's a logo. It's the Houston Astros. It's not the Jim Crane Astros. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it has to do with that. Um, an explanation. I think that's a little bit tough. I, I do think that Carlos Correa um, got more money out of this deal as far as even the AAV than obviously anybody else in the game was willing to do. Okay, that means 29 other teams said no, not one, not two, 29. Okay, this particular team said yes, and only on a short window because they have some younger players in the system that they're going to try to eventually come out and play short. They have some players that um, they may try to retool with. And honestly, he's trade value with an opt out. I don't know what he's going to get out of it, but he's trade value with an opt out unless he stays in Minnesota for and they're competitive and add to it. Carlos Correa was, was going to be, as we saw, it was the most important thing for Carlos Correa to be the highest uh, paid infielder in terms of an, uh, annual value contract. That's it. That's all that was. Otherwise, you stay in Houston and you're trying to win a World Series and, you know, you're, you're, you're staying in the place you live and, you know, but the Astros would never have done that deal, nor should they, based on their window. And um, they don't owe the, you know, the, the Astros do not run owe the fans an explanation for how they want to run their team. Let's hear from Carlos Correa. One of the um, things that was said, and it went along the lines of, hey, don't assume I'm going to opt out. This is courtesy of WCCO-TV. Yeah, the conversations we had um, for about two and a half hours that we were on the Zoom call, it was all about winning. I, and and when, I, when I get that from them, you know, that makes me excited because you know, I, w- I want to take up on the challenge. Uh, it was not long ago when I was playing for an organization that – it was last in the big leagues um, the year before I got there, you know, losing 100-plus games. So um, I know what it takes to build um, a championship culture within the clubhouse. It starts within the clubhouse and all the way up to the front office. So I see that here with the talent that we have, and I see that we can get so much better in order for us to accomplish that goal to ultimately win a championship. So there's Carlos Correa. You know, Jeremy, the one quote, 
Scott Boris, I don't know if you saw this. Um, you know what? I can probably play it for you. I'll get your reaction on the other side. We're seeing this as I want to build a championship culture in this organization. I want to show you guys what I can do and what I can bring to the table so we can, you know, have a long-term relationship at some point. I know this, that, you know, all the AL Central, you know, there's a, the Twins have a new explosive weapon, C4. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, my reaction to that was, <laughs> I mean, you know, like, I'm not going to, I mean, the, the man's the most powerful man in baseball. People just didn't seem to know how to respond to that. Yeah, last time we talked about Scott Boris, it was, um, you know, I told you, like, everybody that's ever played the game that he's representing is better than the glass guy, right? This guy just got $400 million from the Monstars, and he sucks compared to this guy. You got to pay him. I mean, that's, that's, that's Boris, right? So, you know, you, you kind of roll your eyes with it. You kind of laugh about it. Um, you know, I, I don't see Carlos Correa staying in Minnesota long term unless they make a real commitment to win. They make a real commitment to win. And they pay the money to put to, for the people around him because they're short. They're better. He obviously makes them better. Some of the other moves they've made it better. You know, they made the twins better, but they're short right now. Um, if they put some money around him, maybe he stays. If they don't, he's an opt out and he's gone. I don't think it's a coincidence that both him and Xander Bogarts have an opportunity to hit the free agent market again next year at the end of 2022 with all the shortstops came off the board this year. Gotta remember, we all thought, and we, you and I remember, but fans listen to this, people listen to this. The entire industry said Correa was gonna get the biggest contract out of anybody. Now he did, he got the you know the biggest annual value. But as far as like the big the years and the dollars, that's four other guys got more than he did, right? Whether it's Baez, whether it's Story, whether it's Seeger, whether it's Simeon, Correa was last on that list as far as longevity and dollars. So now you're gonna turn around and you're gonna get. Bogarts and Correa bidding against each other. The Boston Red Sox already prepared for it. They got Trevor Story with an opt-out. He can't really get out of. They get a chance to keep him. They locked him up for six years. They resigned Devers to an extension. They're preparing for Bogarts to leave and somebody to slide over, right? So Bogarts is going to opt out. Correa is going to opt out, and they're going to go head up. The question remains, is somebody willing next year to do what they weren't going to do this year? Because the teams that paid the players they paid are not all of a sudden going to turn around and decide to pay him. Right. It still has to be somebody who's left on the market. Now, I do believe that the Astros, Jim Crane and James Click, they won't address this. But if there's if there's an explanation that needs to be had, it's what happened with Trevor Story? How involved were you? And the fact that Trevor Story eventually got six years and one hundred and forty million. Was that like a deal breaker? maybe the Astros were only offering five years because to me um, that guy would have been such a great compliment to what they've got going and knowing that Carlos Correa was not going to be around anymore. And you, you even pointed out about how he would play in Minute Maid Park. Yeah. So, you know, my, my thoughts are, are real direct and, and, you know, again, we know they listen to us. So we'll, you know, I'll say this as clearly as I can, they don't owe anybody an explanation. Jeff Luno didn't owe anybody an explanation for how they run their organization and make their decisions. They, they have that right. They're in those seats. And Jim Crane, it's his money. And you know what? You got the right to do that. That said, it doesn't mean that you're not up for second guessing or questioning. 
when it comes to running a championship organization where everything you do seems to be working against that championship goal if it means going over five years for a player, right? That doesn't make any sense to me. The market dictates to get good players at this point, especially middle of the diamond defenders that can hit, it's longer than a five-year deal. I get not going to 10, but not going to seven, not going to six, not you know sticking at five, that doesn't really sit well with me, not getting creative. As a somebody who would be making decisions or somebody who has or has talked to our GMs who have done that in different levels, while the 10-year contracts don't work out and they don't work out, six and seven years can. You see Marcus Simeon's got a pretty good deal. Correa was at least worth that deal. And so to not be able to put all that stuff on paper and to grow with somebody like Trevor Story or Baez when that's the going rate, I got a concern about that because what it tells me is that the Astros are now headed to a situation where they won't come off a formula that doesn't work in today's game when they don't have the system that Bobby Heck and staff left for Jeff Luno and Mike Elias, right? How's Mike Elias doing in Baltimore as proof? Yep, that's about how he's doing in, Mike, in, in Baltimore. They don't have anything. They're not in the, they don't win the big leagues. And something else is they've offered people money to go play there. And I can't tell you how I know this, but I know this. They've offered people lots of money to go play there. And everybody said no. Why? Because they don't want to be in that type of environment. You have to have a commitment to players and you have to have a commitment to win. So while the Astros don't know, again, anybody explanation, they definitely raise some red flags with what the organization can look like by either misevaluating their system, which I promise you they've done that, or not going above five years for premium defenders that can hit. That's, that's a concern. It was very interesting to see some of these tribute videos for Carlos Correa put together by fans and various, um, I don't even know what you would call them, Twitter accounts, pro like s production companies. And to, to watch draft day and to see Bobby Heck so prominently featured, and yet most people around baseball don't even consider Carlos Correa a Bobby Heck guy. And we've talked about this, but I just, I just found it very interesting because again, front and center, along with Jeff Luno, is Bobby Heck. Yeah, so, so I, I got I to edit that a little bit for you. Most people outside of the scouting world in baseball associated with Mike Elias, and I say that because all of us in the scouting world at that time, and those of us like yourself who have paid attention to actual history, don't allow it to be rewritten by Jeff Luno and Mike Elias. The biggest trick the devil ever pulled was, to, was convincing people that he didn't exist, okay? And I'm telling you right now, it's exactly what these guys did when it came to Carlos Correa and Lance McCullers. And even Carlos Correa, oh, Mike Elias did. No, Bobby Heck drafted you. Get it together, right? He's, he's play, he was playing to get a $700 million deal for four months. That's what he wanted from the Orioles. And so he was trying to get that done. Bottom line is, yes, those of us that remember this, how this went down, those of us that... Uh, are bent on keeping the scoreboard straight a little bit, um, are watching the failure of the Houston Astros minor league system right now, not with glee. I said this was coming years ago. Like, I'm not happy that it's bad. It just, it's bad, right? And when you look at what the Orioles have done, guess what? They got a couple of guys at the front. Two of them were not drafted by Mike Elias. A couple of guys at the front. And how's that? Yeah, that's bad too. Right. And look at some of the players that we took back then, we being the Houston Astros, um, J.B. Bukowskis. Yep. Yep. Seth, 
I need another beer. Nope. Nope. Okay. You could go Seth Beer League. You could do that. Seth Beer League. We're not going to do that, though. We're just going to stick with Seth Beer. They haven't performed. So, look, Bobby Heck left the cupboard full. His staff did an excellent job. David Post and Clarence Johns and the area scouts that were all here, and, and, and they did a great job in building that, that, that organization. And guess what? You got a decade out of it. And so if you're not going to continue paying at the big league level because you know you don't have anything in the system, especially coming off two years with no, with no first or second rounder, right? Coming off that time frame, I got questions. I got questions. Seth Beer is, uh, had a bit of an issue with his shoulder. But um, anyways, how would you rate this trade from 1 to 10, 10 being the best, 1 being the worst, from the perspective, excuse me, the signing, I should say, this trading of jerseys, the, the signing of, how would you rate the signing of Carlos Correa from the perspective of the Twins on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the worst, 10 being the best, how would you rate it for Minnesota's, from Minnesota's perspective? I think it's a 7, only because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense with the rest of their roster. It also puts them in a position where um, – puts them in a position where they can qualify as that 12th team, right? So they can get into the playoffs for that one day and see some revenue from that without having to put a whole bunch of other, of, uh, uh, you know, high-end stars around it. Now, they're not a bad club. Don't get me wrong. They're not a bad club, but they're not finished yet, right? If you're going to sign Correa with that type of money, you need to add more to it. So uh, it's a seven. Let's see what we get. You know, those guys, when you make a deal like that, everybody should sit back and watch where that's going to go. Right. And I think the twins deserve the same benefit of the doubt. What are you going to do with it? As of right now, it's a seven. If they add to it, it's a 10. Right now, it's a seven. Well, I think they would argue that they have made, taken steps with uh, Sonny Gray, obviously, and then um, having Buxton. So I, I think that they are, would argue that they are taking steps to um, be, a better, be a better baseball I, club. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying it's not enough. It's not enough yet. Are they, make, are they getting better? Look, I was the highest scout on Sonny Gray ever in high school and in college. Even won a stake out of it, out of, out of saying he was going to go in a certain spot and somebody else was going to go after him. And, you know, we're not, we, maybe we'll talk about that when the Angels come to town and I'll, I'll, I'll introduce you to, to somebody who, oh, actually, you've met this person before. We could talk about that little situation right there. But I can tell you this at the same time, it's, it's just not enough yet. And it doesn't mean that they're not making moves. It's just not enough to justify that type of a contract. Correa joins a club with several holdovers from the AL Central titles in 19 and 20. Byron Buxton, Miguel Sano, Max Kepler, and his new double play partner, Jorge Polanco from uh, KenoshaNews.com. Yeah, they're, they're not bad. It's, like I said, just not enough. They're better. He makes them better. Some of the moves they made are better. They're just not, they're not, just not enough yet. Pitching, I think, is where they definitely fall short. Yeah, that's uh, about right. A lot of people are falling short on the mound, but that's because we're, you know, we're trying to throw as hard as we can, and, you know, not worried about where it's going. So um, that's not pitching, that's throwing. And people are going to back up and big league hitters can time a, a litter jet. So they're not worried about it. One of the first videos we saw of Carlos Correa in Minnesota was Carlos on the field mentoring Royce Lewis, who of course is the former number one overall pick. And, um, so this is interesting. I did not know this. Correa took Lewis's number four, but paid him back with a uh, a watch, very expensive watch. That's how it's done. Good for Carlos. Back to the Astros. 
you've got this idea that Jeremy Pena is going to be the starting shortstop. On a championship-level club, how long do you give Jeremy Pena to establish himself? Or because of what's around him, his leash will be a little longer than, say, someone else. His leash is going to be longer for two reasons. Number one, he's playing short, and he's going to be able to pick it up and execute. I think everybody knows he can do that, okay? The second reason it's going to be a little longer is because there's nothing around him um, or nothing in the system to trade to go get a, a, a top-tier shortstop or a first-division shortstop. Payne is going to have to be that guy. Um, the question is going to be, where are we three months from now? And I know we talked about six weeks or so. You get to the all-star break and he's hitting about 205 and he's, he's an automatic out in the lineup and the other guys around him, Goodrum and BS can't pick it up, right? You're going to see some moves happen. Um, I don't know what that means because, you know, we, the market's going to evolve day, one day at a time and we'll see what happens when we get that far. But he's going to have every opportunity to play, play shortstop in the big leagues unless he shows he absolutely cannot handle it. And the versatility of Goodrum is certainly one of the best things about him. The bat is suspect, but Astros fans, he's, he's a, he's basically a backup type guy, right? Yeah. But you, you know, what you want to do with Pena is you need some offensive production to balance it out. You know, it is possible to have some kind of a caddy and I'm not saying he can't hit, but he just got there. Right. The question with Pena is, is always going to be offense. He's defense over offense, which is fine for a shortstop. But the question is going to be, what, do you, what does he do at the plate? You're also asking him to step in for somebody that hit 25 home runs and hit 280 and just got paid 35 million bucks. Like that's unfair to do to a rookie. It's just not that's not fair. And if you're putting him in that type of position, he's going to have to be in a situation where he has people around him to excel. If he's if he becomes an automatic out, this is not the Mariners last year with Kellenick who could let him learn in the big leagues because they weren't trying to win anything yet. The Astros are trying to win, right? They're going to have to plug somebody else in there offensively, at least get him an offensive caddy. And I don't know who that, who that is yet. Another topic that I've been hearing on Sports Talk Radio is, yes, it's the production on the field with Carlos Correa, but who takes over that that alpha male, that 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 take charge guy that that Correa was in the clubhouse, who 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 takes that who takes on that type of role for the Astros? There are certain people that think maybe it's Alex Bregman, um, Jose Altuve. I, it's not in his personality. I think I think it's pretty safe to say that he leads in a different way. Yep. I don't know if a pitcher can do that because he's not on the field all the time. Justin Verlander is, is he's a different, that's not his role, I don't think. Um, I have an idea of somebody who could potentially become that guy, but I'm curious who you think is best equipped to step into that role. You know, I don't, I don't think that all, every clubhouse needs it. You know, I think that, you know, clubhouses are the best when they're individual guys that can come together. I don't think people need, you know, the rah-rah stuff gets old pretty fast. Carlos, you know, he, um, that was his way of doing things, right? Um, I, you know, look, you look around the infield, you got um, uh, Gurriel, you've got Altuve, you've got Pena, who that's not going to be it. You've got Bregman at third base. You got an outfield of Michael Brantley, uh, Kyle Tucker, um, who am I missing? Oh, McCormick. Well, in center field at this point, it's either McCormick, Siri, Myers. Right. So some so sort of combination. It's not them. It's not them. And you've got Jordan Alvarez and, and Jason Castro, Martin Maldonado. That's your team. 
right? So if you're looking at, 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 your, at your rosters there, I'm going to go with Maldonado or Bregman. And the reason why I'm saying Maldonado is because he's behind the plate. He does have that personality in him. He knows how to relate to people. Um, he's a field general. Uh, Bregman's going to do it in his own way. But I don't. Th- I honestly am saying I don't think they need it. I don't think these guys need somebody to motivate them. Veterans don't need that. You don't need somebody, you know, coming up behind you, blowing smoke to make you play hard. You know what's out there. You know what you're trying to do. You've been here before. Rookies might need that some mentoring and some pump up and Hey, you know, slow your heart down a little bit. Look where you don't veteran guys. You think Alvarez needs somebody in his ear telling him what to look for. Oh, bad example. You think Alvarez needs somebody in his ear trying to pump him up and promote him. No, he doesn't need that. He's like, I'm gonna go play, man. I'm gonna go hit. That's what I do. I wake up today. I get three hits. I go back to bed. That's your Dan Alvarez. I don't need to do anything else. Okay. So I don't think they need it, but I do think Maldonado or Bregman. Once again, you took my, you stole my thunder. To me, it's Maldonado. I mean, um, for all the reasons that you mentioned, and I think that he um, he's a cool cat, man, on Twitter and the things that he's been doing. And I think now that Correa's gone, I think that perhaps some of that field general is going to shift to him. And it's going to be different. It's going to look different. Carlos Correa you know, getting into the ear of a Framber Valdez on the mound during a playoff game saying, settle down, don't worry about them. You know, I don't think we'll ever see that again, but I think Maldi in his own way can get those messages across. Maldi or Bregman have to be the two choices, have to be. Yeah, I, I think it'll, it'll be a Maldonado. You know, Bregman's already done his thing with his dancing, whatever he's done in the dugout. I've been actually very impressed with how Alex has grown up in the last year and a half and two years. And um, settle into who he's going to be. He, he's actually fun to watch and fun to watch compete and watch work because there's a real process to it now. You know, um, there's a real understanding of uh, what he's trying to get done on a day-to-day, you know, basis in the big leagues. And a lot of that stuff, and unless you've done it, and I'm going to say this for myself included, unless you play in the big leagues like these guys have, like actually done it, you don't know what it's like. These guys have to get on the field every day and look around and, and understand how to compete at the highest possible level. It is incredibly difficult. However, they have to do that to get themselves motivated to play, to get themselves to perform. Um, that's their own process. But watching Alex grow into who he really is now has been lots of fun. He's gone from somebody that was sometimes tough to take to somebody that can lead. And that's a pretty big transformation, right? Um, he should be proud. He's not, he's not going to be the type of guy to be proud of himself, I don't think. I don't think he needs to hear I should, he should be proud of himself. I think it should be noted that when you look at guys like Altuve and Alvarez and Bregman and Brantley, um, you know, and, uh, and, and Castro, you're looking at Guriel, you're looking at a very low-key team. These guys are all veteran. Let's go compete, hustle every day. Yeah, we're going to be excited when we win, and we're going to show the emotion. This is not a, what we call an eyewash team. This is a very, very – this isn't – and no disrespect, because this is how he had to do it. This isn't what time is it. This is – we're going to play baseball, and we're just going to beat you, right? Those type of teams are really fun. And I think, honestly, that that's more telling about the city, because that's how the city approaches it. We're just going to go beat you. You know, and that's how they do it. So I think they got the right team on the field. And I understand why the moves they made uh, were the ones they did. I think they left story out. The story definitely fits that mold too. But, you know, the Astros will see. And they got a window to try to compete. And we'll see if they have – I don't know if they have the pieces to add something at the trade deadline. But um, it's certainly from a salary perspective, a payroll perspective, it does leave them some room 
to add a few pieces, but my guess, and granted, this is so far ahead in the future, sure. it's going to be sure. a similar type situation as what we saw before last year's trade deadline. They traded a Toro to get a Graveman and um, added, uh, gosh, I can't remember. Who was the pitcher for the Marlins there? Um, the, 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 he was the Marlins closer, and I can't even remember his name now. Does he even have Madden? a team? Huh? It was Garcia. Yeah. Does he, is he even on a team? White Sox. Okay. Maybe I'll edit that part out. Just kidding. All right, Jeremy. Um, I don't think we have enough time to do one of your past scouting reports. So we'll do that next time. I'll give and... you a scouting report right now. Okay. All right. Um, my scouting report uh, that I'm gonna I'm gonna go uh, give you um, is I'm gonna I'm gonna break down Jeremy Pena. Okay, I'm just give you a, what a full scouting report on what he is. Jeremy Pena is a 70 defender. Depending who you ask, it's a six or seven arm. Uh, he can run. He's got good instincts. He's gonna pick the ball up. He's gonna execute defensively. He's gonna hit the bottom of your order. It's probably a four bat. It's more likely a three bat, uh, but it's enough to defend himself in a championship team. If he's somebody who can give you a back turn the lineup over, he can play shortstop every day. Okay. Now that said, it might be something that goes out and it's a 60 bat all of a sudden, which won't happen because that's Bregman and Altuve, but it'll be more than enough to take care of business. I think eventually. All right. So if the Astros fans can stay patient and Payne can live into his own ability and figure himself out at the big league level, he can play shortstop here. Tell you this much. He looks the part. Does look the part. I mean, he's an 80 when it comes to looking the looking the part. He looks the part, no no question about it. But then again, there's been a lot of guys who looked the part and couldn't play a lick. More of the guys that looked the part uh, that couldn't play a lick than guys that looked the part that can't. Just saying that. So. Oh, oh. All right, Jeremy. Um, if you have questions, comments, concerns, please leave them below, and we'll answer whatever questions that come in. This has been another episode of the Extra Basis Podcast with Bristol and Booth. And um, it's semi-regular now. Hopefully, we'll get more into a regular swing. I was at spring training. You were off doing what you do. I've got the University of Houston basketball team right now in the NCAA tournament. So we'll see where this road leads us, Jeremy. Hopefully, we'll be back regular and not semi-regular. All I know is as soon as spring training is over, it's on. That's all I can tell you. So. And with that, everybody, we're out of here.